Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton. Along with me on this journey, revisiting 80s movies is my co-host, Jason Masek. Hello, Jason. Be afraid. Be very afraid. That's right, listeners. We are discussing with spoilers aplenty the 1986 remake, The Fly. Produced by Brooks Films and SLM Production Group, distributed by 20th Century Fox, it stars Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis, co-written and directed by David Cronenberg. This movie is rated R with a running time of 1 hour and 36 minutes. The Fly was nominated for one Oscar, which it won for Best Makeup. This is our final film of our Splatter Cinema Month, where all the movies we discussed in the month of October were horror movies. So, what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Half man, half insect, total terror. Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis star in this frightening update of the horror classic in which a man is transformed into an insect. Seth Brundle, Jeff Goldblum, is a brilliant scientist who develops a system to transport objects in a matter of seconds. An intellectual hermit, his entire existence takes on new meaning when he falls in love with an attractive journalist, Gina Davis, who inspires him to correct the system's last remaining flaw. Yet when he tries it on himself, Seth's genes and molecules are accidentally fused with those of a fly. At first, Seth is elated by the astonishing new physical abilities he's suddenly gifted with, but soon his excitement turns into a terrifying nightmare as his insect half begins to take over. Expertly paced by director David Cronenberg and sizzling with superb special effects, The Fly is both a love story and a suspenseful drama, masterfully combined as one immensely effective thriller. The Fly. The Fly. I gotta tell you, Jason, I'm a little upset. We're wrapping up our uh, Spider Cinema Month. Oh, it's sad. I know horror movies aren't in your wheelhouse, but... But, Bill, yeah. this is a Mel Brooks production. That's true. So it's a comedy, right? Yeah, it's probably his least funniest movie. Well, maybe Elephant Man. <laughs> Between the two. Right, it's a toss-up. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But yes, we are discussing The Fly, our final film we'll be discussing for this Splatter Cinema Month. As always, we start with earliest memories. Jason, what are earliest memories of this movie? All right, Bill Bant. I can't wait to talk about everything related to this movie. As far as my early memories regarding The Fly from 1986, I'm going to start with Jeff Goldblum. I mean, what else can you say? At the young age, I'm speaking of myself, the young age of 12 or 13, I wasn't super familiar with Jeff Goldblum's work. I probably saw him in The Right Stuff and probably Silverado, but I had not seen The Big Chill at that time or Buckaroo Banzai. However, I would get to watch him over and over again in this film because I saw The Fly more than a few times on the old cable watch. I have never seen the original film from 1958, and I never read the original short story that it was based on. But for me as a young man, I was fascinated with this idea, this science fiction concept. And when it came to the body horror aspect of this movie, it was as if I couldn't look away. 
as a kid, I was absolutely engrossed and had to watch what was going to happen to this man. I, of course, recall this film being gory and downright disgusting and talking about those specific gross scenes with friends, similar to what would happen with RoboCop in 1987. This is 1986, and it provided plenty of scenes that were violently graphic and shocking. For example, as I mentioned, when we did that mini-sode of moments that scared us as kids, yes, I mentioned the scene of the baboon turning inside out. I remember being supremely impacted by watching Goldblum throw up all over the character of Stathis and melt his body parts off. That's the kind of shit you never forget. I do recall finding Gina Davis quite beautiful in this, and I'm sorry to be objectifying her in this moment, but I was a teenage kid and she was very sexy, and I'll have much more to say about her as an actress in a bit. I always remember the character of Stathis as played by John Getz being a total dick. What kind of name is Stathis anyway? I thought the same thing. Right? Another early memory. I always loved the telepods. Very cool design with all the smoke coming out of the doors when they open and just some great practical effects. I was all about that. And of course, I was just, for some sick reason, drawn to watching Seth Brundle's grotesque transformation unfold and the cool abilities he was gaining as a result. And last but not least, this movie freaked me out. It was genuinely scary for me as a child. I'll never forget it. It was stomach-turning. But what I remember most, Bill Bant, is how sad I was at the end. And that's what sticks with me to this day. I absolutely adored this movie. And I'm going to just stop right there with my early memories of The Fly. What are your earliest memories, Bill Bant? Yeah, this one was certainly a rental because it was a mainstream horror movie. So those I can usually rent and get away with and bring home and... Um, I think I ended up watching this one with my mom and we might've been having dinner, which was a bad choice because this is certainly not a movie you should be watching while eating at the same time. <laughs> no, sir. Yeah. Like you, I don't think I really knew who Jeff Goldblum was at that time. Um, this might've been really my first introduction to him and possibly Gina Davis. The things that stick out about this movie is just, it's gross and, but it's fascinating. Gross. Just the whole transformation, yep. you're totally fascinated, but revolted at the same time. And some of those scenes I'll get into in my favorite scenes, but that is certainly memorable. And the same thing with you, with Stasis, the way he tries to save Ronnie at the end and just gets vomited on. And it's almost kind of like aliens with acid yeah. for blood. He's just got acid for vomit. It was just gross, but... The story itself was just so cool because there's so much science behind it. Right. And granted, teleportation is not anywhere in our wheelhouse right now. And to us, teleportation is usually from Star Trek, Beam Me Up, Scotty, that kind of stuff. But it was grounded in such believability that it worked. And I did know of the original The Fly. I had not seen it at that point. I had seen the iconic scene at the very end when... Um, we have the fly trapped in the spider web and he's like, help me, help me. So I had seen this one first before I eventually saw the original. This definitely goes down as a remake that blows away the original movie. I'm glad that you brought up Aliens in your earliest memories because, of course, Aliens was released the very same year. And can you imagine just now going back in time? And I wish at that age I was going to the theater to see the double billing. 
of Aliens. Going to see a double feature of Aliens and The Fly back to back. How amazing would that be? Oh my God. Popcorn sales were like all time low for those. <laughs> Between chest bursting and vomiting. Yeah, no. Walking right by the candy stand on that one. Yeah, if you weren't aware of what was to come in these films and you stocked up on all the goodies beforehand, well, you'd be vomiting too. Wouldn't want to be on cleanup. Wouldn't want to be on no. the, the ushers in that movie theater. Anywho, are we ready to move into our initial thoughts? Yes, go for it. Bill Bant, this is fantastic, and I am not kidding. Over the past few days, there has been a fly in my apartment, and he's surprisingly unintrusive, and so I've let him be. Live and let live. And I'm not joking you, once again. Last night, while I'm watching the movie, The Fly, this particular fly decided to land on my leg, and it was hilarious because it completely freaked me out, and I immediately swatted him away, and I was like, oh, hell no, you don't. Don't even get close to me. It really scared me. I was like, what is going on right now? Uh, it was fantastic. I'm going to start with our director, David Cronenberg, known mostly for working within the horror genre, and one of the originators of the body horror genre, well, he's been working since the mid-60s, and I'm just going to jump ahead to the 80s, and he is known for directing such films as the Exploding Heads movie, Scanners, in 1981, then Videodrome in 1983, and he does the Stephen King adaptation of The Dead Zone in 1983 as well, which I know Bill Bant is a big fan of. I love of. that one. Great movie. Little Christopher Walken. Then, of course, he does this, The Fly in 86. He does Dead Ringers with Jeremy Irons in 1988. That's a disturbing watch. And after that, well, he's known for Naked Lunch in 91. And then he directs my personal favorite, which is A History of Violence in 2005, following that up with Eastern Promises in 2007. If you want a nice Viggo Mortensen double feature, I heavily recommend both A History of Violence and Eastern Promises. Those are badass movies. Concur. He does The Nest in 2013. I believe that's a Mar Marwan favorite. And most recently, he released Crimes of the Future in 2022, another big body horror film also starring Viggo Mortensen. I'm going to move on to my initial thought about the casting of Jeff Goldblum. He's clearly such a great match for Gina Davis as they have wonderful chemistry in this. Both of them are tall actors and look great together. And no surprise, they got married and were married from 87 to 91. And I find it funny that this fresh-faced younger version of Jeff Goldblum has the bug eyes, which is so appropriate for this. He's got these big old eyes that are moving around the whole time. He looks fantastic. It's great to see a young Jeff Goldblum in this and... I mentioned some of the films he was in up to this point, but I was thinking while watching this, if I were to tell someone from the younger generation that what he was like in this movie, I'd just tell them he's the early version of Dr. Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park. I mean, that's it. Speaking of which, whenever you hear the expression describing an actor, he's the same in every movie. It is often directed at Goldblum, and it's true. But it's not a knock on him. The fact is, he's so great to watch because of the fact that he's always Jeff Goldblum. 
I love his quirks and his pauses and his thoughtfulness and his nerdiness and his spontaneous exuberance and his specific cadence. He's got such a specific rhythm, just like a Christopher Walken has his own rhythm or a Denzel Washington has his own rhythm. And you can't keep your eyes off of him because you can always see the wheels turning and you want to know what he's going to do next. What choices will Jeff Goldblum make? He's unpredictable. He's awesome. This movie is only an hour and a half long. Technically, I think it's like an hour and 36 minutes, but you take away the credits and that hour and a half bill bands and it moves quickly. This movie also feels somewhat contained and very intimate because of the minuscule cast. There are really only three main players in this. We've got Seth Brundle, Jeff Goldblum. We've got Ronnie, the reporter, or Veronica, if you will, Gina Davis. And then we've got uh, Stathis, played by John Getz. Now, Today, I could see this being made as an extended Black Mirror episode. That's what it made me think of, if it was like going to be translated into something today. It just kind of has that feel. And you'd mentioned something about the science fiction aspect in this film, in your early memories, Bill Bant. And I absolutely concur and agree wholeheartedly. I love the junk science and tech jargon in this movie. It's so much fun. And it is strong enough to hold that suspension of disbelief. Like I mentioned, the telepods look great in this. I have to say the control panel, though, it kind of looks like an empty box with an like an Apple IIe computer screen and some plastic buttons and a keyboard, but it's pretty amazing. It's pretty awesome. I want to give a serious absolute shout out to the makeup effects created by Chris Wallace. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. It's like Wallace, but it's not W-A-L-A-S. Chris Wallace and makeup artist Stefan Duplus. The makeup is one of the stars of the film. It's unbelievable and it still holds up it's creative it's realistic and it's truly nauseating i absolutely love the ending of this movie it just ends as in it ends with a literal bang and we're done that's all you get folks it's over and now you're left to unpack what just happened and process it and deal with it good luck jesus christ because this movie is traumatic. And that's where I'm going to talk about Gina Davis. She is really good in this. Now, Jeff Goldblum's tics and mannerisms and vocalization as he is uh, transforming are all undeniably wonderful, but we don't really feel the tragedy of this until we see it from Gina Davis's perspective as she's watching this man she's fallen for cease to exist and transform into a human-sized insect. She's so amazing, especially in the second half of the film when she's really wearing the pain on her face. Her fear. I mean, she's truly frightened, yet still compassionate, and yet completely terrorized. The obvious question for me, especially as an actor, this film presents the question is, like, what if this happened to me? Would I even survive under these circumstances? Uh, I always enjoy putting myself in the shoes of the protagonist, as we often do as an audience. And it's interesting to watch Jeff Goldblum's choices himself as to how he deals with this traumatic transformation as at different times it's emboldening, it's confidence building, it's ego building, then it turns to fear. There's the, He has this scientific and analytical approach at times, then at times he just has to accept the way he is. And ultimately he's overcome with madness and brutality. And Jeff Goldblum has to play all of those things. And above all, he just doesn't want to be alone in his feeling. He's desperate to share his discovery and everything he's experiencing as both human and fly. And he wants to share it with someone. 
and ultimately in the end, it's just plain tragic. Watching this today, I realize why I find this so upsetting is that David Cronenberg has a very unique, like this unique talent of creating something extraordinarily gruesome, but it is so relatable on a human visceral level that I'm disgusted by what I'm seeing, but I'm also disgusted with myself because I like it. Just as you said, Bill Band, I'm fascinated by it, I'm curious about it, and I'm seduced by it. It's as if David Cronenberg's style of visual imagery reveals something dark about myself that is very elusive but recognizable and alluring. It's psychosexual, it's animalistic, and it's about being reduced to this primordial level and my primeval needs, basic human instincts, which are both overwhelming and powerful. And my last initial thought, Bill Bant, is uh, Howard Shore's musical score, Excelente. It is really the icing on the cake. Uh, agreed. Eerie and impactful. I love this movie. What are your initial thoughts, my friend? Some of the stuff that you said, people complaining about Jeff Goldblum being the same thing. But if you love Jeff Goldblum and love what he does, who cares? Repeat, rinse, do it again. I love it. Also, what you said about the minimum characters. I was when I was watching the, this time, because I think recently, maybe a year ago, the uh, high school did a play version of Alien that got the attention of Sigourney Weaver and then she ended up coming. I was like, this could be a play. This really could. It really all just kind of takes place in one location. I did find out during the research, they did some kind of musical or opera with it at, at some point. But the way that mm -hmm. it's laid out, I'm like, oh yeah, this could totally be a play. This would be kind of cool. I, I would love to do the fly, the play. I would definitely go out and see it. 100%. Yeah, that's a, oh, that would be incredible. It is fascinating when you look through the cast and you're like, yeah, it's really just the three. It's three of them that are carrying this movie for 97 minutes. I think what it is about this movie that makes it so great, this movie is really a love story. Yeah. And it just so happens that one half of this couple is turning into a fly, but he could have another sort of tragedy happening to him. He could be dying of some kind of disease or mental ailment. And the chemistry between Goldblum and Gina Davis is so immense it just makes it work it just so happens though we just have these amazing special effects and makeup effects that even enhance the movie more i mean we start the movie right off from the get-go here we have brundle at this party and he's trying to pick veronica up and veronica's there for a story and she's just kind of listening to his what she thinks is bullshit but he somehow convinces her to come back to his loft which i freaking love so I really did love the set of this movie. Yeah. And once she sees what he's doing, she's totally fascinated by the project, not by him. But then she falls in love with him because he is a really good and genuine person. And then he gets jealous because her old boyfriend is trying to derail this relationship. He's a little over the top. And then that causes Brundle to get so jealous he puts himself in danger. He puts himself in the telepod and transports through because he's angry. It's like the first time that he's actually trying to have a relationship for once. And he doesn't know how to process it, even though he's an adult. He almost processes it like a teenager and it gets him in trouble. And then Veronica or Ronnie has so fallen in love with him when he's going through all this. She tries to stick by his side as much as possible. There's a scene when 
Brundle vomits on himself and loses an ear and she still <laughs> gives him a hug. I'm like, that yeah. is love right there. This is a love story. And it's so sad at the end when Brundle knows that he did wrong and he's now the fly and he's fused himself with the pod. And he knows the only way to stop this is that she has to kill him. And he literally takes that shotgun and points it at his head. And she knows she has to do it. And it is killing her. Even though the state that he is in, he is a total mess. He is suffering. He wants to be put out of his misery. And luckily she can do it. But because of love, it hurts. You feel for it. Even though you don't know what that is. And you're like, oh man, what a bummer of an ending. But... It works so well. As a kid, you're just fascinated by the transformation and the makeup effects. And now watching it now, you're like, wow, this is a really great love story that just has the worst tragic ending. So that's my initial thoughts of this. Loved just listening to you talk about it and focusing on the fact that it is a love story. It really is. And interestingly enough, that's what we now see as adults. And that is our focus I love that you had mentioned you could see it as a play. I would love to see that. It would be a great performance piece. It'd be something that actors would just jump to be a part of because uh, you could just have a rotating set with just a three or four different locations and it would be great to watch. And then taking it a step further, it just made me think that this is a tragic opera. I mean, it could very well be an opera. Because it is a total tragedy. Great thoughts. Thanks for sharing, man. No problem. Let's move into favorite scenes or moments. What are some of your favorite scenes or moments from The Fly? All right. Well, I'm going to skip quite ahead, actually, because I could say, I mean, in an hour and a half film, it's almost if almost every other scene is favorite scene. But I'm going to call my first favorite scene, Brundle Embraces the Transformation. Now, again, I am jumping way ahead. So at this point, Brundle is very aware that he has been fused with a housefly in an accident when he had placed himself within his telepod and teleported himself. Because as we know, a fly managed to sneak into the telepod before he teleported, and thus now he is turning into Brundle Fly. So his transformation has begun and he's showing signs of increased stamina and strength, probably even mental acuity and sharpness. But he's also beginning to show deteriorating signs as his face begins to develop spots. His fingernails are falling off. He's literally pulling his fingernails off. And then in a really just extra gross scene, he just shoots pus all over the mirror from his finger. Really unnecessary, but awesome. It's really as if the disease, the cancer has taken over. He's become weak. And when Ronnie comes to visit him, he's using a cane to walk. He suddenly vomits. As Bill, you'd mentioned that particular scene, his ear falls off and he, he's asking her for help. Well, Ronnie goes back to Stathis, who's the publisher at the paper where she works or the magazine where she works, and she's asking him for his help. And he says, well, she needs to tape his progress so that she can show him what's going on with Brundle and then he'll see what he can do. So she goes back to Brundle's loft only to find that somehow Brundle has grown in strength. He's now all of a sudden 
crawling on the ceiling. And this is where my favorite scene here begins. He's crawling on the ceiling as a fly would. His hands are sticking to the walls. It's a really cool effect. We've seen this done in other films, but here it is quite seamless. And it's great because Brundle's talking the whole time and he's he's almost impressed with what's happening. He He's admiring what's happening in this transformation. He's taking ownership of it. And as I said, it's just the effect is really seamless. So he's on the ceiling and then he crawls down the, the walls and he gets down to the floor. And although his face is worse and he's covered with bumps and pustules and his hair is thinning out and he's no longer using the cane though. And it seems as though the fly is really taking over his human side and providing him with this new and improved strength and these abilities. And Brendel says to Ronnie, he says, I seem to be stricken with a disease with a purpose, wouldn't you say? And Gina Davis, she keeps coming back to him. She just keeps coming back to visit him. And now she's there to track his progress and she's going to videotape him. But she's at first shocked by watching him crawling across the ceiling and down the walls, but she can't take it. She literally says as much. She says, I can't take it. It's too much. And he says, what's there to take? The disease has just revealed its purpose. We don't have to worry about contagion anymore. I know what the disease wants. What does the disease want? It wants to turn me into something else. That's not too terrible, is it? Most people would give anything to be turned into something else. And she says, turned into what? What do you think, a fly? Am I going to become a 185-pound fly? No, I'm becoming something that never existed before. I'm becoming Brundle fly. Don't you think that's worth a Nobel Prize or two? And it's as if he seems to have accepted his fate here. It He's got those wonderful ticks as an actor. He's quickly moving his head, like jerking it back and forth. His eyes are darting everywhere. He's itching himself. hes It's absolutely crazy. And the whole time, it seems as though Gina Davis as Ronnie, she's going to faint like at any moment because he's gross. He looks awful, but he's loving it as a scientist. He's just impressed with this whole thing. And then that's where he's like, I have to show you something. And then he has her take the video camera. And that's when he explains that his teeth are basically useless because although he can eat food, he can't digest it because flies can't digest human food. And that's why he's throwing up. That's why he's vomiting. And he calls it a vomit drop. And the vomit has this acidic quality. So it basically melts the food and he has to suck it down. And that's how he digests human food because he needs, as we've seen in the movie, he needs an immense amount of sugar, like as fuel to keep him going. And it, it's brilliant because, again, one of these, one of the, you know, my favorite things is the stuff we don't see. You just hear it in the sound design because he's on camera now. She's videotaping him as he's puking on his food. We don't actually see it, but it cuts to Stathis back at his place or office watching this videotape. And we just see his reactions as you hear Brundle on camera sucking his own vomit down. And it almost makes me want to throw up in my mouth right now thinking about it. It's so gross. So that's my first favorite scene. I just love the fact that we see these different moments with Jeff Goldblum as Brundle, this process that he's going through because it's so scary at first and he is trying to process the whole thing. But at this stage, when the fly is really taking over and he's finding these new powers, if you will, he realizes the importance of it. 
even mentions like winning a Nobel Prize as a result, as if he's forgetting that he's really losing himself in this whole thing. And Gina Davis is completely terrified. And just watch just the look on her face. And she's like hyperventilating and wanting to cry, but she almost can't even cry. And it's so weird. It's so weird. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, that is a great scene because you really see a progression throughout the movie of Jeff Goldblum accepting what's happening, being afraid of what's happening, terrified what's happening, seeking help for what's happening. And maybe the second scene where he's accepted, oh, this might actually be cool what's happening to me. Uh, This is one of a kind. This is amazing. Yeah. And it's crazy because the scene before with him, he's frightened. He's terrified. He doesn't know what's happening. He's, He's still trying to figure out what is happening. And then you see him later and now he's like this. He's literally on the ceiling and crawling around and fascinated by his powers or abilities. Yeah, it's another stage of evolution. It's a good point, Bill Band. I mean, you see the, there are specific stages that he's going through. And you're right. Ronnie says specifically to Stathis, she says, if you could see how desperate and angry he is. Because in the previous scene, he was literally asking her, help me, help me. Yep. And then she goes back and here he is now evolved and a new man and accepting his fate and embracing it. It's yeah, it's insane. Yeah, kudos to Jeff Goldblum for that. Uh, so for my first favorite scene, we're just going to go back just a little bit. Absolutely. And Brundle's gone through the telepod. He feels invigorated. He does not know what has happened yet. So this is basically when he realizes that something is wrong. And him and Ronnie are together and they have a fight and he storms out and he finds another woman to bring back because he's just to say horny i guess he's just so sexually invigorated and he just wants to go 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 sex 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 so he brings this uh, woman home and they're having sex and ronnie comes back just in time because brundle wants to put this girl in the pod because he thinks the pod is what's made him invigorated not knowing that he's been spliced with the fly and he has the girl leave and they have a discussion and ronnie's trying to tell brundle Something went wrong. Something went wrong when you went through that pod. You are not yourself. And Brundle gets really upset. He's like, oh, you think this is wrong? And literally starts punching the wall. And it's like this wood beam and it's just splintering. And he just yells at her, get out. You're jealous. You don't know what you're talking about. Get the hell out of here. So Ronnie runs off crying. And then Brundle goes into the bathroom. And he finally like really takes a look at himself in the mirror because Ronnie says, you look terrible. And he knows he's got like this weird hair sticking out of his face and his nose and he goes to get his electric razor to try to trim it down and the razor's not doing anything it's actually hurting him and he throws it in the tub and it shatters and he's looking at himself again he's trying to figure it out and then he's kind of putting his his finger in his mouth and he starts biting his nail and then that's when he literally bites his nail completely off and He's like, whoa, what's what's going on here? And we have this super gross scene where he's now grabbing his fingers and just like squeezing them and all this like pus is shooting out and you see that the nail's gone and then he goes to his next nail and he picks that. I don't really need to see this. So he's now come to the realization, you know what? Maybe Ronnie is right. What is happening to me? Is he dying? That's what he asks himself. Am I dying? So he goes to the computer to see what has happened And the computer says that there was a presence of a primary and secondary teleportation element. And then he asks the computer if Brundle was the primary, what is the secondary? And the computer just comes back with the secondary is not Brundle. 
So then Brundle runs the sequence to see what had happened when he got teleported. And then at that instance, he sees it's a fly. So he types into the computer, if the secondary element was the fly, what happened to the fly? And the computer comes back with fusion, which, of course, Brundle doesn't understand what fusion. Did I just absorb it? Did I eat it? What, 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 what does that mean? And the computer comes back negative that they actually fuse the genes of the fly with Brundle at a molecular level. And now he realizes what is happening to him. And Ronnie is right. Something did go wrong. And now he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. Because, of course, nothing like this has ever happened to anyone. And now he doesn't know where to turn. Some cool, gross special effects. Very scary moment for Brundle and his only ally he just threw out the door. So he's alone now. And we have to wait and see what happens next. Fantastic. I love that you pointed out this scene because we get some great science fiction in here. We get some of that cool junk science. And that sounds like there's a negative connotation there, but it just means like it's science that we don't quite understand yet, or we know that is actually not within our reality outside of this movie, but within this fiction, it exists. And it's awesome because it's the moment of realization. He's finally coming to that realization that, oh shit, something did go wrong, like you said, but when he's watching the you know the output from the computer and it comes across the screen and it's fun, it's kind of it's always cool to watch that. You watch the the computer graphics come across and you're like, how are they going to explain this? And is there going to be some techno jargon, which there is a little bit and whatnot, and then it finally comes across. Now it's Brundle Fly, and he realizes what's happened. Oh my god! And it's just that. You know, him going through the the motions and going through breaking it down in his mind, et cetera, and then figuring it out. It's just always a great revelation, that moment of realization, to watch that come across his face and to put it together. And it's confirmed that he is now one with a housefly. Great scene, man. And gross, too. What a gross lead up. Oh, yeah. You know, and a lot of that too, like I, because I had been, you know, and I didn't mean to step on your favorite scene there, but I had mentioned it as well. You know, when you see the pus shooting out to the mirror, stuff that's like, you're somewhat familiar with it. And you're like, is that really necessary? Did we really need to see that, David Cronenberg? But I think you kind of do in this type of movie. It is a sci fi horror movie, but also it just makes you feel more. It's that visceral feeling. And you feel terrible for this guy because he's really going through it. And if you didn't see some of this stuff, you wouldn't have a full understanding of it. I'm going to move on to my next favorite scene, which, ooh, this is brutal. It was, this is, I don't know, it's a toss up between this and the very end, but this is an emotional scene for me. I call it insect politics. Oh, I have this down too. Yeah, I think it has to be there. I mean, now some time has passed and... Brundle's transformation has progressed significantly. Now, his entire body has become deformed. It is warped. And he's not even wearing any clothes anymore. His skin is loose. It's folded. and It's bubbly. His head is misshapen. And he's unrecognizable. It's upsetting. His image is really upsetting. His teeth have now fallen out. And once again, Ronnie has come to visit him. And the lighting in the scene is brilliant. It's wonderful because we see him at first like full a full body shot, kind of standing in the shadows. 
And it looks so realistic and it's really bothersome. But she comes in and she can see what he's now become at this stage. And he says, you've missed some good moments. Is that why you're here to catch up? It's like as if he's going on to just give her this progress report. And he says, my teeth have begun to fall out. The medicine cabinet is now the Brundle Museum of Natural History. You want to see what else is in it? She says, no. He's like, well, then what do you want? And she struggles, man. She's just like at a complete loss of for words. She attempts to tell him. I personally believe she's there to make an attempt to tell him about the baby. She's pregnant. Yeah. That's a, a record scratch right there, right? Uh-oh. No bueno. Because he impregnated her after he went through the telepod and is fused with the fly. So what does that mean for her child? And we could talk again. There's just so many scenes we could break down. So a lot's happened here. And you think she's maybe going to tell him about the fact that she's pregnant. But then she says, and this is even more tragic. She says, I wanted to see you before, meaning, you know, before you die. (laughs) And he cuts her off. He doesn't even, he can't stand to see her in this condition. She can't get the words out. And he says, you have to leave now and never come back here. Have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion, no compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. You see, I'd I'd like to, but I'm afraid. And she's just confused. She doesn't know what the hell he's saying. I don't know what you're trying to say. And he says, I'm saying, I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over. And the insect is awake. And at this point, she's distraught, saying, no, no, Seth. And he says, I'm saying I'll hurt you if you stay. And it like gives me chills even now. I, of course, I'm not doing any justice to Goldblum's performance, and I'm not even trying. But he says, I'll hurt you if you stay. And it just sends vibrations through my soul. And on top of it, you get Howard Shore's score just comes in and it's just booming and resounding. You're bong and the lighting like is fantastic and their faces are just lit perfectly. The makeup is amazing on Goldblum. His performance, he's breathing in between the words. Again, his twitching, he's licking his lips. He's struggling to get the words out. It's so painful to watch Gina Davis's reaction to his words. And she leaves in tears. And Brundle wants to reach out, but he puts his hands to his head and just says, no, no. And it makes you want to cry. This movie that is gruesome and disgusting and horrifying, it makes you want to cry in that moment. It's gut-wrenching. You feel terrible for him. And it's just a credit. Like, you see all aspects of filmmaking coming together in this magical scene that makes you feel so many different things. It's uh, pretty masterful. It's a great scene. Yeah, I certainly have this one down, too. What makes it really tough, too, is Gina Davis comes in. He sees the condition that Brundle's in. And the way she's even framed in the shot, she's not looking right at him. She has to, like, turn her body because she's somewhat repulsed. But she loves him, so she's still kind of almost like over the shoulder looking while she's trying to talk to him and process, should I tell him? Is this going to help him? I don't know. And even Brundle himself, who in the last scene accepted that this was going to happen, is almost back together now to, you know what? I don't know if I want this, but it's going to come to pass. And when it does, 
stay away because who knows what's going to happen. Because even right before she shows up, he's on the computer trying to figure out a way to stop the process or slow it down. And that's when his teeth pop out. But then he's fascinated by the fact his teeth popped out and wants to collect them and keep them as part of his museum because he knows whatever happens to him in the long run, people are going to want to know what happened. That's why he's been documenting all this. Mm -hmm. I think after she leaves, he's really back to, I got to figure out a way to stop this. The first person I fell in love with has just walked out the door and I'm probably never going to see her again unless I can stop this from happening. Yeah, it's a tough scene. Yeah, it's brutal. And he explains when he's talking about the insect politics, the fact that insects don't have politics. It's great writing, great writing. And Cronenberg did a lot of that in his script revision. And the fact is, yeah, insects don't have politics. They're brutal. And he knows that's what's happening to him. Eventually, he will lose his humanity. And he will himself become brutal. And that's why she has to leave. She will be in danger if she stays and he completes this transformation into a fly. And I'm glad you brought up also the fact that he was trying to figure out a way to help himself, to cure himself. And that is a little foreshadowing because he gets the hint that if he fused with another human, it could make him more human, return him to a more human state, or at least even it out a little bit, the human half and the fly half. It's one of those awful things. That's part of the tragedy, right? Both parties know what the right thing is to do, but they don't want to do it because they're in love. And in this case, he has to send her away. It's an awful moment for her protection. Yeah, exactly. But it it truly, they're both completely heartbroken. Hard to watch. Yeah. What's your next favorite scene, my friend? Oh, you've kind of mentioned this a little bit, but yeah, it's the the ending when the stasis gets messed up big time that's my that was my next scene as well has yeah it's incredible absolutely go for it yeah so the first half of this movie stasis is he's a fucking creep (laughs) he really is so him and ronnie had a relationship it's over in ronnie's mind but not in stasis because at one point ronnie comes home and he's in her apartment taking a shower He keeps throwing out sexual advances at her. He's extremely jealous when he finds out that Ronnie and Brundle are having a relationship. He is a total dick. And as much as she wants to get away from him, he's still kind of pulling some strings that she knows that I got to keep this guy around or it could fuck up my career. He even blackmails her because she tells him about the story And he's going to go ahead and publish it without her permission. So, yeah, first half of this movie, he's a dick. But then once he finds out that Ronnie is pregnant with Brundle's kid, he does a 180, surprisingly. He feels really bad when he finds out that she's pregnant and he's trying to do what he can to help her. I was like, where the hell was this guy the whole movie? Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a character do such a 180. So the scene when, when we just talked about, Jason's and I's uh, second favorite scene, Brundle sends her off and says, do not come back. I will hurt you. Stathis is waiting outside in the car, and Ronnie comes out and says, I need to get an abortion. I need this out of me right now. And Stathis is like, it's the middle of the night. What am, how am I going to do I can't set something in the middle of the night. She's like, figure out a way. So Stathis... Finds a doctor that's going to perform the abortion, but 
Brundle overheard all this when she went outside the loft and they were having the conversation in front of the car. So he somehow tracks her down, literally bursts into the operating room through a, a window, grabs her, and then takes her back. That's a great shot. Yeah, oh yeah. When he crashes through that window. Pretty epic. Yeah. So Stath is obviously knows where Brundle is going. So he heads back to the loft and brings a shotgun with him to either kill Brundle or at least use it to scare him so he can get Ronnie back. But unfortunately, because of Brundle's abilities, he has the upper hand and jumps through the skylight down on top of him and grabs his arm. And you can tell it doesn't even seem like it's that hard to grip, but he's almost breaking Stats' wrist. It's that hard. And then proceeds to vomit all over his hand, his shooting hand until it melts into a stump and staff is, is totally going into shock and surprised he didn't pass out from the pain or just the shock of it. And then he throws Stathis down and then Stathis tries to crawl away. And then Brundle again, grabs his leg, starts vomiting on his calf. And then that starts getting eaten away. And Stathis is just screaming in pain and basically kind of passes out. And then Brundle goes to his face and is about to vomit on his head. He's about to melt his face off before Ronnie yells down, just please stop. She begs him, please don't do it. And luckily Brundle obliges because he needs Ronnie to, for this experiment, to hopefully fuse technically the three of them together so he can become human again. It's kind of weird because... Stathis kind of has it coming because he's such a dick in the first half. But then you feel sorry for him because he did turn around there in the second half of the movie. He was really trying to help Ronnie and then even just trying to save her and pay the price for it. Yeah, a thousand percent. It's one of the more impactful and gruesome scenes for sure that really just leaves a mark, literally and figuratively. Uh, you do feel for Stathis in that moment. And Credit to John Getz, man. He he's pretty great in this because he we really do buy him as a complete jerk, and then you do sympathize for him somewhat as he is truly trying to protect Ronnie in the end. But there's only so much he can do. Yeah, because uh, my final scene was I was just calling it the finale, and so I'll just pick it up right where you left it off. Yeah, man. keep it going because as Ronnie basically saves Stathis's life there in that moment and yells down to Brundle. I should just call him the Brundle Fly pretty much at this point. Well, Brundle Fly goes up to the ceiling because we see that Ronnie is actually on the roof and she's looking through the roof window and Brundle Fly just jumps right up there and grabs her and says to her, help me, help me to be human. And he explains that he's going to go into one of the telepods. Now, what we did see here briefly, but right before Stathis gets his limbs melted off, he did see that Brundle has made a new formation with the telepods. He's got two the two telepods that have been working. They are set up to be connected to the prototype telepod. Basically, Brundle has come up with a new plan, and that's what he's about to explain to Ronnie right now. He says to her, that he's going to put her in one pod and then he's going to get into the other telepod and then they're both going to be teleported into the prototype telepod where they will be joined together, the three of them, meaning 
he, her, and the baby inside of her. They're all going to be fused together, and they're going to be a family of three joined together in one body, and he will be more human than I am alone, is what he says. And Ronnie begins to panic, and she's, no, no, no. And when she tries to push him away, she grabs his face and ends up pulling his jaw completely off. And we see Brundlefly beginning to shed his skin entirely, and he becomes the human-sized fly. It's unbelievable, the makeup effects here. It's so gross. So now we see the jaw come off his face, his legs are breaking, his fly legs are breaking free from the skin. His face completely falls away and we see the fly head and the fly eyes. And then he grabs Ronnie and he tosses her into the one telepod. And at this point, Stathis is beginning to actually regain consciousness. And the music by Howard Shore is great in this finale. It's starting to build and build and build. And it's freaking horrific. And we watch the countdown on the control panel before the teleportation fusion process is about to begin, and the fly goes into the other telepod. So now we have Ronnie in one telepod, and the fly is going into the other telepod. But before the countdown reaches zero, Stathis manages to shoot the electrical cables running to Ronnie's pod, and she's able to get out. And when the Brundlefly realizes what is happening, he tries to get out of his own pod, but only gets halfway out when the countdown reaches zero, and he is teleported to the prototype pod, having been fused with the metal from the pod he was climbing out of. And now it is complete tragedy. It's total tragedy because you have Ronnie standing there watching the door open to that prototype telepod, and Brundlefly climbs out, and he's half fly, half metal, and he's crawling along the way, and now Ronnie's got the shotgun, and that's when Brundlefly crawls up to her, and with what little humanity is remaining, Brundlefly grabs the shotgun barrel and points it at his head, and it just makes you want to start sobbing because you know what has to happen, and that's what she does. She starts hyperventilating, and she's like, no, I, as if she just can't do it. She can't do it, and she actually backs away. She backs away from Brundlefly, and then one more time she's like saying no, no, and then just pulls the trigger. She just has to, and blows his head off, and puts the Brundlefly out of his or its misery, and that's it. And you have the maimed Stathis lying there, you have the dead Brundlefly crumpled there, and you have Ronnie standing with the shotgun and the movie ends. That's it. Blackout. Are you kidding me? No, that's it. Game over. It's powerful stuff. Total tragedy. And it's, it's the, the makeup effects are insane. The music is insane. The performances are insane. Gina Davis is absolutely wonderful in that finale. It's totally heartbreaking and gut-wrenching. It's a great, great, great finale. It's one of the all-time greats. Yeah, it is great stuff. And it's so scary when Brundle says, oh, the three of us will fuse together. I'm like, dude, you're going to kill your unborn baby or God knows what you're going to do to your unborn baby. And that was very spooky. And it dawning on Ronnie what exactly is going to happen is scary. 
and then just him backing up, dragging her, and she can't resist at all because he is so strong, and he's basically like molting off this old flesh and becoming the 185 pound fly. Right, is crazy, and you're thinking to yourself, how the hell are they going to get out of this? Are we actually going to see? this weird transformation happened. Is this how this movie is going to end that he successfully pulls this off? And then Stathis is able to get the shotgun and does the smart thing by just splitting the pod off from its power source, not even trying to get Ronnie out, uh, which I was like, okay, that's pretty good. And then dead over. But yeah, I mean, what could you really do after that point? It's one of the best endings. It really is because it leaves you hanging and there is a, it is a little bit of a cliffhanger because we know that Ronnie is still pregnant. Right. So we don't know what's what happens. That's a question that is not answered. We don't know what she's going to do about the baby at that point. But you're absolutely right. There's nothing else they could do with this particular story. It, it should have ended there. And it was like, thank God it did. Yeah. Almost putting us out of our misery at that point. Yeah. And just seeing the fused Brundle fly with the pod. Just like, oh my God, just what pain that would be. Even just trying to make your way across the floor like that. Unimaginable. Yeah, yeah. But you're right also in making the point that this was everyone's worst fear, and especially Brundle's, I would imagine, the fact that he is more fly than man. So he has become animalistic. He is he is, well, he's an insect. He's brutal. And he's not thinking straight. He's going insane and just last ditch effort to fuse with this woman and her unborn child. It would be totally catastrophic, but he's not thinking clearly. He's lost his mind and he is at this point the villain. I mean, he's he's a real threat and a real danger. It's terrifying. It's a, it's a just such a all-time great finale. Yeah, it just makes such it so scary because you think about it. You have Jeff Goldblum, who I think is like 6'4". And then you have a fly, which is half an inch, and they fuse together. And by the end, there's no, any sign of that there's a person. No trace. Yeah. It's all insect, tiny fly, huge person. And the insect gene totally took over. Frightening. It's fascinating to think about. We've talked about this. It's like, because you're trying to wrap your brain around it. But the suspension of disbelief totally holds up. You're not too carried away with, would this actually work? How would it work? Or what's the actual science? Could this actually ever happen, et cetera? You're just totally blown away by what you're watching and you're emotionally invested. They do such a good job with the writing, with the performances, everything that you're invested in these characters and what's happening. And it truly is in the visual, the shock of it all, the shock and awe of it. You're just completely distracted from any kind of junk science or or whatnot you're just like this is awful what is happening and i i just wish everything was okay but it's not yeah i mean you got peter parker gets bit by a radioactive spider he doesn't end up with six more arms or a couple more Mm -hmm. eyes he got the best of it poor brundle man comes a mess yeah give me radioactive spider any day no doubt Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, let's move on to Swiss Cheese and Complaint Department. And why do we call it Swiss Cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have vomit holes. Yeah, so it does have those vomit holes. We just file a complaint with the complaint department. So, Jason, what do you got for a complaint to Swiss Cheese for the Fly? I certainly am not going to poke any holes in the science of it because it's completely unnecessary. And I bought this whole thing hook, line, and sinker. Agreed. Like I said. So, I have a question. Was the third telepod, this new formation that's he's constructed at the end, you know, using the prototype telepod along with the two working telepods that he uses in the beginning, was that third telepod necessary is my question. Because we understand that what happened initially was that Brundle gets in the one telepod, the fly flies into the telepod with him, the teleportation process begins and they are fused together, the fly and Brundle. And they both are teleported to the other pod. They come out and now they're one and he slowly becomes the fly. So that's the fusion process right there. Why wouldn't at the end he just get into the one pod with Ronnie and her unborn child and they all teleport to the other pod together and fuse together? When you're asking the question, I'm just like, fuck, that makes, yeah, that's so right. Why separate into two separate telepods and then be teleported into a third pod? There's some science missing there and an explanation missing right. there for me. And I figured that it was just necessary for the ending to work, maybe the way it was planned out. I don't know, because Ronnie had to be in one pod and he had to be in another one. Right. But yeah, technically what you're saying is right. All three of them, or the two of them, could have gotten a pod together, and then the computer should have just did what it did the first time. Yeah, fuses them together. Yeah. And I don't even like to imagine what that would have created. No, thank but you. <laughs> did not want to see that ending. All right, so you're following my trail of logic yes. there. Yes, makes total sense. Okay. I have some other stuff. What, what complaints or uh, Swiss cheese do you have, Bill Band? For me, that's just really just my big question. So we have the scene where the baboon... The second baboon goes through and he's okay. And, you know, we should run some tests to make sure the baboon's okay. And that's what they were initially going to do. But then Brundle gets jealous because he thinks Ronnie's with Stathis. So he goes through the teleportation device and he feels different. He feels invigorated. But then it's days later until he goes back to see what exactly happened. Wouldn't that be one of the first things you would do? Just to see the process, you would know right away, oh shit, there was a fly in there? What the hell happened to me? Not wait this far out. Couldn't agree more. He's a scientist. Could not agree more. As a matter of fact, when I was watching this or re-watching this for the first time just the other night, I thought that that scene took place earlier in the film. Because mm-hmm. 
because I knew it was coming. I've seen the movie several times, but I had forgotten where it was in the movie and it doesn't happen until halfway through. And I was like, oh, he doesn't actually know what happened to him until all he's showing all of these signs of the fusion, but he doesn't realize that he's been fused with fly. No, I totally agree. It's like, no, you got to go back and figure out, hey, did did the teleportation go smoothly? Did it work the way it was supposed to work? Maybe I should check the systems here, do a diagnostic. But he waits quite a while. Yeah, totally agree, man. That would be the first thing you would yeah, do. Yeah, because he first thing throws out all these fascinating theories that deconstructed me and reconstructed me better. I'm like, okay, that's a possibility. I felt like that made sense. It would correct your flaws. But check the data or data, however you like to say it, to see if that's what happened. And he doesn't. He just keeps doing what he does until Ronnie has to tell him for the umpteenth time, there is something wrong with you. Go figure out what the hell's wrong with you. Yeah. Don't lose your fingernails first. Good call, man. Good call. Now, speaking of the science, and I'm hopefully not going to talk about the science anymore after this, but after Brundle teleports the stake, he seems to figure out why the device is having an issue teleporting the human flesh and it's because of something that ronnie had said about like pinching baby cheeks and really feeling the flesh and wanting you know getting a sense of the flesh and he uses kind of a poetic explanation for it my question is did it all make did it make sense to you i got a little bit lost in his explanation as to how he kind of figured out because it's a big thing like he needs to figure out this problem it's an obstacle it's a big obstacle the problem in the beginning of the movie is that the telepods can only teleport inanimate objects. They cannot teleport living tissue, unlike the teleportation device in Terminator. Right. Which is the exact opposite, I believe. (laughs) True. But in this fiction, the telepods cannot teleport living tissue or flesh. So that's the obstacle. He's got to figure that out. And I still not quite sure like he comes up with kind of like this romantic poetic explanation and just, I was like, all right, I'm just going to go with it. Fuck it. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I should put it as a complaint or not, but yeah, I was very curious. Cause he's like, Oh, I'm going to teach it what flesh is. How, how do you explain that? It's kind of cool. Cause he does say, he says, computers are dumb. They only know what you tell them. And he uses the example of the steak. He's like, it's putting together what it thinks the steak should be. It's not actually reproducing what it is. Like pinching a baby's cheeks, you know what it is. Like it doesn't know what it is. I have to, I ha, he says, I need to, I clearly don't know my own flesh as much as I need to. I need to study flesh more in order to teach the computer exactly what flesh is. That's his resolution. Right. He can't feed the computer the steak and say, look, see how it's different? How do you put that into words so a computer understands? Right. Yeah, I agree with that too. I was, and I was even like, oh, they should have a scene where he kind of explains it, but I don't even know if they could come up with something that would make sense to the audience or scientifically make sense either. Hence why we don't have telepods. Right. What else you got for this, Bill Bant? That was about it. Yeah, it's hard, man, unless you want to get really nitpicky. And if I'm going to be super nitpicky. Go for it. This is one of the fun scenes I'm always looking forward to in this is when we see Brundle discovering his newfound strength. It's early on in the film and he starts doing these stretches and pulls these gymnastic moves. Like he's like an Olympic gymnast, mm-hmm. which is great. It's a lot of fun to see him discovering that it's a revelatory scene. And he jumps up onto one of the pipes and starts swinging around like it's a high bar. And like that was always meant to be. Yeah. 
also as an adult you know watching it now in, in high definition it's pretty clear it's a stuntman the whole time it's not jeff goldblum doing the gymnastics it's pretty close but the gymnast is not as tall as jeff goldblum you can kind of tell or as tan because jeff goldblum is just so long the dude is long he's long and lanky they did pretty good i mean the skin tone and the clothing matches and the hair matches but you just kind of can tell that's all that's being like super super nitpicky yeah i think that didn't bother me because i just knew it wasn't him so i think i was just more fascinated about how they hide it when he's on the one bar and then they have the post of the building kind of blocking his face so you can't see it. yeah the camera yeah, it's just like i just like the cleverness they used yeah yeah and i thought it was really sure, cool when sure. he was doing the flips and then literally running across the ceiling oh that's kind of neat oh yeah oh yeah 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 totally i always like that moment when he's his legs are so long like he's running along the ceiling mm-hmm. as he's flipping around the bar yeah i always kind of like that that's that's great. I'm I'd like to see a face off between that guy and then the one who did it for Footloose. Just have a little competition. <laughs> I had some other nitpicky stuff, and you know what? I'm going to let it go. I'm just going to let it All go. Right. I freaking love this movie. Let's keep it All moving. Right, let's move on to Hey, it's that actor. All right. All right. In this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's Hey, it's that actor. Who do we choose this week? Because there is such a plethora of choices. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there really isn't. It's that's funny because I'm always copying and pasting the cast list from Wikipedia onto my notes so that it's easily accessible. And this time around, it wasn't much to copy or paste. Yeah, I got five names. Just a handful of names. <laughs> and so I'm going to go with one of our main players. I'm going with John Getz, who plays the role of Dickhead Stathis Barons. Creep. Stathis Barons. Because John Getz is not necessarily a household name, but he is great in this. He is believable as that jerk. And he's been an actor in television since the mid-70s. He's been in TV episodes of everything from Wonder Woman to Barney Miller to Barnaby Jones. He was in an episode of Three's Company in 1980. Then he does he's done a ton of TV movies. But he does go on to play one of the lead characters named Ray in Blood Simple, the Coen brothers' first feature oh. film. Yeah. He does this, The Fly, in 86. He reprises his role as Stathis in The Fly 2 in 1989. He also plays a Marine major in Borth on the 4th of July. He's in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Curly Sue. And he just continues on doing episode t- or episodic TV, such as CSI Miami, according to Jim, Without a Trace, The West Wing, The King of Queens, and on and on and on, The Grey's Anatomy, to really more modern, modern shows. He's got a bit part in the film The Social Network, and he's recently just did an episode of the highly acclaimed television series Reservation Dogs. Our man John Getz is still working steadily to this day at age 77. The fact is, he's a lot more recognizable without his mustache or facial hair. If you see him without that, if you just go onto IMDb, ladies and gents, and you see him, you're like, oh, yeah, that guy. He's been in a ton of stuff. Totally more recognizable. A uh, little bit of trivia. As a morbid joke, John Getz still keeps the rubber prop of the foot that the fly <laughs> melted off. 
And he keeps it in his home's refrigerator and cheerfully shows the hideous prop to his son's friends whenever asked. I don't know if he's still doing that to this day, but he was for a while, apparently. Still got that prop, that gross prop. It's kind of funny. Dad, not the foot again. Jesus. Do you have to show Uh, everybody the foot? Oh, come on. That's fun. Here, hold it. He just throws it to one of his friends, and they're like, oh, my God. (laughs) Hey, yeah, go go help yourself to some high C in the fridge. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ah! Oh, yeah, right? So many practical jokes. (laughs) Yeah. You could play. (laughs) So, yes, John Getz is this week's Hey, It's That Actor. Here he goes. Some facts and trivia. What is some facts and trivia we have about the fly? Mel Brooks wanted Pierce Brosnan to play the role of Seth Brundle, but Cronenberg rejected the casting. John Malkovich was the top choice for the role, but he declined. John Lithgow was also offered the role, but turned it down, stating it was too grotesque. Michael Keaton and Richard Dreyfuss were also considered. Jeff Goldblum was proposed for the lead by Cronenberg as Goldblum was willing to perform with prosthetic makeup unlike other proposed actors, such as Dreyfus. All right, so we talked about Mel Brooks's involvement with this. So this is how this came about. So after 20th Century Fox rejected the initial draft of the script, producer Stuart Cornfield convinced the studio to distribute the film if he could find the money to make it. And Mel Brooks was actually the first person he went to for help. Two of them had previously collaborated on David Lynch's The Elephant Man in 1980. Mel Brooks is a huge horror fan, and it was Brooks who encouraged Cronenberg to take the movie as far as he wanted. Brooks said, I want you to go all the way, let yourself go, and don't hold back. There were no restraints, Cronenberg recalled. That's awesome. The quote, be afraid, be very afraid was also used as the film's marketing tagline. And this became so ingrained in popular culture, as it and variants have appeared in numerous films and TV series, many people who are familiar with the phrase are unaware that it originated in The Fly. Yeah. I had actually forgotten myself. Me too. And I know I've said it tons of times, and I didn't even put it together that that came from this movie. Right. So there's a dream sequence when uh, Ronnie is at the doctor's office uh, giving birth to a brundlefly's larva the doctor in that scene is none other than david cronenberg himself and uh it was something that he didn't want to do but gina davis asked him to do it because she felt like being in that position in the stirrups she would rather it be david cronenberg than a stranger looking down on her so he was in the scene he knew he was going to be masked and he said if his lines didn't sound good he would just get someone to dub it for him There you go. Good old David Cronenberg, director and actor. Check out his filmography. He's acted in several films. And by the way, that nightmare sequence when she basically births a fly larva slash giant maggot that's writhing back and forth in the doctor's arms is one of the more gross things I'll ever see in my entire life. Oh, yeah. That got me the first time for sure. Because you don't know what to expect. You don't know because she's freaking out. Everybody's freaking out and they really make you wait for the image. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you see it and you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So in the 1990s, Gina Davis was involved with an alternate sequel to The Fly to be directed by her then husband, Rennie Harlan, titled Flies. The script by Richard Jeffries featured a story in which Veronica gives birth to twin boys 
but survives the ordeal. The paranoid Veronica fears that the boys will begin developing fly hybrid characteristics. When they eventually do, she uses the teleporter to merge the untainted human genes from each twin into a single new being. As a result, the authorities believe that she murdered one of the children since there is now only one child. (laughs) That was the premise. How crazy is that? That is very strange when I read that one. So Cronenberg initially turned down the fly due to his directorial commitment to Total Recall. During production on the latter, Cronenberg and producer Dino De Laurentiis had a falling out over the direction of the movie. So Cronenberg left and ended up taking the fly instead. And unfortunately, there's a sad, sad story behind that, too, because the director that they then tapped had a personal tragedy when the director's daughter passed, and the director just couldn't bring himself to get back to work. And they knew the director, and that's Cronenberg just happened to be free up again, and he got the fly back. Ah, strange how it all works out. Yeah. Those involved with the making of the film, The Fly, including David Cronenberg, remember that the baboon, whose name was Typhoon, was very much a wild animal and not an actor. Visual effects supervisor Hoyt Yeatman said in a special features documentary that Typhoon was once startled by the flashing lights in the telepod and broke the door off to get out. Jeff Goldblum, because he was much bigger and stronger than the baboon, was able to dominate him. And the baboon's wrangler said it was a good thing that the baboon formed that relationship. Otherwise, there could have been big trouble on the set with some of the female members of the crew. Yeah, that was scary reading about that. You don't want to mess with the baboons. No, I didn't remember that there was another baboon in that movie, to be honest. And luckily, yeah, it doesn't have a lot of screen time. But speaking of the baboons, and I only picked this out just because when we did our scariest moments how the baboon being turned inside out freaked you out so for that scene so they had two puppeteers and one of them was uh makeup effects uh chris wallace we don't how do we say how are we saying his name wallace we'll just say wallace wallace wallace, wallace, wallace. order yeah I don't. so they were located underneath the floor animating the inside out baboon while a third pumped blood all three of them had to wear raincoats because such large amounts of blood were coming through the scene. Jeez. That had to be fun. I hated that scene as a kid so much. The first name mentioned in the end credits is Chris Wallace, as in Chris Wallace Incorporated, as the creator and designer of the Brundle Fly makeup. After a screening, the audience cheered upon seeing his first credit. Producer Stuart Kornfeld turned to Wallace and said, you're getting the Oscar. Kornfeld's prediction came true when Wallace did, in fact, win the Academy Award for Best Makeup. Wallace claims that this was probably because his name was listed first. Uh, no, your shit was really good. It was freaking amazing. Well deserved. Uh, last thing I'll say is that several sequences were filmed but cut from the final release including a sequence where Brundle sends a cat and the surviving baboon through the telepods, resulting in a mutated creature he beats to death with a pipe. Thank holy Christ, I didn't see that as a kid. Glad they deleted that. There was also a scene where Brundle climbs the outside of his building as an insect limb emerges from his side. And I believe that's probably why at that one point when he's climbing down the wall, he lifts up his shirt and he says, look at this. Do you know what this is? I don't know. 
because a limb emerges from his side. Anyway, and then there's an alternate ending in which Veronica has another dream of her unborn child, this time as a baby with beautiful butterfly wings. Oh, that'd be so cute. No, thank you. (laughs) All right, moving on to box office. The Fly was released on August 15th, 1986 in 1,195 theaters. On an estimated budget of $9 million, it grossed $37.6 million domestically and $20.2 million internationally. It debuted number one at the box office, knocking off aliens out of the top spot with $7 million. It would hold the number one position for another week before it would drop to the third spot behind Stand By Me and Top Gun. The Fly would stay in the top 10 for another five weeks after that and would be the 28th highest grossing movie of 86, just behind Running Scared, which we covered way back in season one. So moving on to reviews, when growing up in the 80s, we'd watch at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips of upcoming movies. Unfortunately, we got Rex Reed and Bill Harris instead because Gene and Roger left at the movies to create their own new movie review show with Disney. Rex gave the fly two out of four stars while Bill gave it three out of four. Luckily, Siskel and Ebert made it back on the air for their 1986 year's best films. Gene had The Fly at number 10 of the best films of 1986, while Roger said The Fly was in his top 20, and Jeff Goldblum deserved an Oscar nomination for his performance. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a tomato meter score of 93%, and has an IMDb rating of 7.6. So this takes us to additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions you have about The Fly? Well, Bill Bant, real quick, have you seen any of the deleted scenes? I didn't have time to check it out. No, and I have the special edition. Even reading it, I was like, no, I think I would remember if I had seen this or not. So, no, I don't think I've seen it. But I have it. Probably going to watch it after we finish recording. I wished, and I apologize to the audience. I should have researched that earlier. I should have made time. But, yeah, I didn't get to look to see if the additional deleted scenes were available. But I have an additional thought. Okay. Which is actually, I realized a complaint that I skipped over. No, okay. So... I'm assuming that once Brundle was further along in his transformation, he probably was ordering delivery in order to get the necessary sugar intake. Yeah, I was thinking about that probably too. Probably not going out into the public, not going to the store. If I were a delivery guy, having to go to that area where he lives, his loft, mm-hmm. where it's located, and climb those stairs every time to drop off a delivery, well, I'd say screw that. You better be tipping me like crazy. And that was my other complaint was like, if I were a woman on a date with him and he wanted to take me home and any woman in their right mind would not be going up to that loft in that location with him on the first date. Well, it's weird too, because I thought there was a, a little sketch freight elevator. I thought we saw at one point and then there was a mm, scene they're running yeah. up the stairs and I was interested in that too. Cause I was trying to figure out how they did that. Because even with that girl being light, and there is a scene where you see Goldblum kind of carry her up. He goes up, yeah. I was like, "That's like a flight, you better get yeah. that in the first take. I ain't doing this five, six times. I'm going to die. <laughs> right? I don't care how light this girl is. Well, he got in really good shape yeah, for the did. movie. So. Yeah, he looked really good. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then really bad. <laughs> yeah. You got some thoughts, questions? Yeah. So in terms of horror remakes... Is there any that come to your mind that you think are actually better than this one? Ooh, that's a wonderful question. Because there's some good remakes of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I love both versions. And I'm talking Mm -hmm. about the um, Donald Sutherland and then the original. Dawn of the Dead. I love both. Let Me In. 
But I mean, is there one that you've like seen the original and then the remake? You're just like, it's not even close. I can't say that I have seen something that is quite like this, where there's such a big, maybe like disparity between the two. Obviously, you always have an appreciation for the first. But for instance, I mean, with like the remake of like Let the Right One In is one of my favorites. And although I do like Matt Reeves a lot and I liked the remake, Let Me In, still not as good as the original. In my, but my humble opinion. Right. See, but I, I did but, like them both. Uh, that I thought they were close enough. Like, yeah, one is they were very yeah, close. One was clearly close. better than the other, but not blowing it away. Like, oh yeah, good thing you remade this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Matt Reeves did it justice, mm-hmm. but uh, no, I mean, this is I, I, I don't. It's hard for like, but I honestly, like I yeah, said, I haven't seen movie. the original yeah. Fly, and I'm not a big aficionado, so I couldn't really say. I mean, now we have reboots of you know, there's been remakes of. Uh, Friday the 13th right and uh, we've got reboots of Halloween and I I can tell you I've seen the Halloween the David Gordon Green reboot the first of that trilogy and I found it enjoyable but it's still no right or even the Rob Zombie attempt right right so here's my two that I kind of came up with absolutely oh yeah sure of course compared to the thing from another planet which which is fun but I mean, the remake blows it away. And then The Crazies. I think the, oh, okay. uh, I think the original's uh, George Romero. I think the original's god-awful. And I enjoyed the remake. Very cool. Who's in the... Is is Timothy Oliphant yes. in the remake? Yeah. I knew you were going to know his name because I'm like, don't ask me because I can't remember. But I know you know him. I was like, the justified guy. Yeah, big fan of his. Big fan of his. Deadwood, man. The sheriff. Timothy Oliphant. Badass. Great stuff, man. All right. Timothy Oliphant tangent. Yeah. As far as other additional thoughts, how about a favorite David Cronenberg film? Yeah, I'm going to have to go Dead Zone. Yeah, I figured you would. Uh, still, you know, History of Violence is good. Yeah. Yeah, that's my choice. I mean, I'm excited to do the Dead Zone at some point. For sure. Yeah, I was going over the list. I was like, oh, we get to do some of these. That's going to be fun. The ice is going to break. yeah bill bant impression corner i love it that was great yeah i had a great experience seeing uh, a history of violence i went to the movies by myself and it was really it's an old theater in pasadena and the floor was sticky it was weird like i was one of like three people in the theater it was just really cool seeing that movie in that particular atmosphere but i have to give he did not direct this film but i'm going to give a shout out to nightbreed I'm a big fan of Nightbreed. No, He's are. an actor yep. in that film. He's a creep in that mm-hmm. one. <laughs> yeah, that's really creepy. I love that he's in that movie. All right, all right. How about a favorite Jeff Goldblum performance? I know. I was thinking, I, he is so good in this. He really is, man. He really is. You know, I can throw out Earth Girls Are Easy, Independence Day, Deep Cover, The Big Chill, yeah. of course, I mean, I, which we yeah, covered. I really did like him in The Big Chill. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Thor Ragnarok. Oh, he is funny in that. He is very yeah, funny. He is funny in that. He's the Grandmaster. But yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely say it's his favorite. But I do remember, and I met in the in, back in the pod that he really stood out the first time I had watched a Big Chill. I thought he was hilarious. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for me, it's a toss up between this and Doctor Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park. I, I think he's really entertaining in Jurassic Park. Just even thinking about it, just the fact they even cast him for this. Just blows my mind. It's like, man, you really got it. And I don't think 
I ever would have thought to put him in that role. No, not at that. Not probably not at that no, time. Because even know. seeing some of the other names. Those are big yeah. names. Yeah. That already had a serious rep. Yeah. Like I thought Malkovich was kind of interesting. Michael Keaton. No. Yeah. If there was someone else that you said, I was like, oh yeah, I could kind of see that. Was it Lithgow? Yes. Yeah. I could see Lithgow kind of doing it. And I could see it. I could mm. see it working. But I'm like, it's not, it wouldn't even be close. It wouldn't even be close. Well, that's one of those things. That's just how, like, a testament to Goldblum, yeah. right? That's just how good he was. It's so, sort of like Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. We know Tom Selleck is great. We all love him. But now we can only see Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones in our heads. And that's the same thing with this. It's Goldblum all the yeah. way. Like, you can, I can't, I just can't not think about him being the fly. Right. Man, he's good. Yes, he is. I just encourage really, really, so when you, if you go back to watch this, and I hope maybe this podcast inspires you to do so out there, audience, really watch every little thing that he does in this movie. Yes, he has his Jeff Goldblum ticks as an actor that you'll see some of those in his other films, but when he's under the makeup and the things that he is doing, there's some subtlety there. Every time you see him and we cut away to Ronnie and what she's doing outside, and then you go back to him, he's a different version of himself. Even before yeah. he yeah. becomes the fly, per se. There's like the jealous rage person. There's the like invigorated. He goes through the teleport, just the nerdy version of him. He's so many different characters in this movie, even though he's the same character the whole time. And yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a testament to him. It's, he's really good in this. Yeah. Bill Bant, if you were morphing into a fly, Ooh. which attribute would you like or use the most? I guess just the actual flying would be cool. Hopefully I can Thank fly. Thank you. That's what yeah. I was going to say, too. It's like the one thing we don't get here is the sprouting of the wings, mm-hmm. right? Flight. Of course. Which is funny. I, I might as well just come up with my follow-up question. So if you had to transform into any animal, insect, or reptile, what would you want to be? <laughs> oh, wow. A reptile or insect? Or an animal. Or, yeah. an, or, or just any Anything. animal. You know what? I would love to be a leopard. Ooh. That would be pretty cool. That's a good one. I like that. I was listening to a podcast, another podcast recently, speaking of uh, talking that was t- uh, talking about leopards in the jungle. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're pretty amazing creatures. Very, very powerful. And uh, something sexy about the leopards. Black leopards. Any leopard. Anyway, uh, well, how about you, Bill Bant? Oh, a shark. Oh, yeah. Good call. I sure. love sharks. To me, like seeing a shark is like a little girl seeing a puppy. I don't know. I'm just wow. fascinated by him. Yeah, and then I could become one. Then I'd have my own show on Discovery every year. And yeah, why not? Give me a shark. Land shark. <laughs> All right, last one. You got any thoughts on the sequel? Any thoughts, feelings? The sequel starring Eric Stoltz and Daphne Zuniga. Zuniga. I watched that one a lot, to be honest. Me too, man. Me too. I guess it's just on cable a lot. Say. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I liked it. I yeah. like it. It's enjoyable. It's not. It, yeah, it's not the original right. or the the original. It's not the first. Mm. It's not the fly, the Goldblum fly. I am getting better. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I liked it. Seen it more than a few times. And it is directed by our makeup effects man, Chris Wallace. He directed the sequel. And it has a wonderful soundtrack as well by Christopher Young. And I stole a little bit of that music for the soundtrack to my University of Miami 222 short film, The Audition. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, that's the music I used was from 
the fly too. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that's got some gruesome stuff too, for sure. Yeah, I kind of want to watch it again now. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, God, I haven't seen this movie forever. I need to watch it again. Yeah. We'll have to get to it at some point. I'm sure there's some Fly 2 fans out there. No doubt. Ready to move on to our rating? Let's do it. Everybody's going to be disappointed about our terrible ratings here. So on a scale of one to five telepods, what do you give the fly? I am giving this the strongest 4.5 telepods you could construct. In my humble opinion, it's really one of the all-time great sci-fi horror films Once you buy the conceit of the film that a scientist has developed this technology that enables teleportation, you you just go with it. You're on board this freight train that just won't stop. The movie doesn't have any fat on it. The performances are unbelievable. The Goldblum is unforgettable. Davis is, man, she's just uh, really great. Uh, the, The makeup is unbelievable. Very deserving of the Oscar. Yeah, the effects shots are all great. Really cool. I was shocking. It's horrible. It's gruesome. And it's really tragic. And it's really sad at the end. But man, it leaves its mark. It leaves a real impact. It's a viewing experience that stays with you. And lastly, I just want to say that the real message of this film is don't drink too much champagne. Otherwise, you'll end up making poor choices and you'll end up becoming a human housefly. Champagne can be very dangerous. Be afraid. Be very afraid. 4.5 4.5 telepods for me. How about you, Bill Bent? I'm right there with you. Uh, 4.5 also. There was two things that you said um, in your review that I thought really hit the mark is there's no fat in this one. It gets right into it. I mean, you see the telepods in action almost like seven minutes into the movie. Yeah. And yeah, the performances, Goldblum's is probably his best performance. Gina Davis is really good. She is super adorable in this and some amazing special effects. And yes, it leaves a lasting impression. That's the other thing you said too. That's like, yes, it definitely imprints itself on you. Once you see it, you're not going to forget this movie. So if you've not seen it, go check it out. Just make sure you're not eating anything while you're watching it. That's my advice right there. So four and a half telepods for me. Awesome. All right. I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please take the time to follow us on your preferred streaming platform. Give us a review and rate us. If you want to learn more about our show, you can visit us at all80smoviespodcast.com. If you want to reach out, please email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. So as we bid farewell to Splatter Sedimonts, we... Wait, what is that? It's a bird? It's a plane? It's Superman 2! Starring Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, and Terrence Stamp. We hope you can join us. Have an excellent week, everyone. I've come here to say one magic word to you. Cheeseburger. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world. <laughs>